Hi, I'm Mark Roderick. Coming up on Front Row, Governor Cooper signs the state budget. OSHA suspends the Biden vaccine mandate. And what's next in the Leandro case? Next. Major funding for Front Row is provided by Robert L. Luddy. Additional funding provided by Patricia and Ku Ewing through the Ewing Foundation, committed to bridging cultural differences in our communities. And by... Funding for the lightning round is provided by NC Realtors, Helen Lockery, Mary Louise and John Burris, Reifenberg Construction, Stephen Gleason, and Jane and Van Hip. A complete list of funders can be found at pbsnc.org slash front row. Welcome back. Joining the conversation, Mitch Kokai with the John Locke Foundation, Jay Shudari, the Democratic Whip in the Senate, Donna King, Editor-in-Chief of Carolina Journal, and Nelson Dollar, Senior Advisor to North Carolina Speaker of the House. Nelson, let's begin with the new state budget. Well, Mark, as you remember from last week, my headline was General Assembly passes budget with strong bipartisan majority. Well, 41 to 7 in the Senate, 104 to 10 in the House, and the governor's signature before sundown. So it is truly a once-in-a-generation budget. Never has North Carolina invested more money in education. Never has the state invested more in health and human services, in our people, uh, in our infrastructure. Uh, and the state has never actually saved more uh, than it is in this budget for the future and return, return more to uh, hardworking and tax, uh, taxpayers and families. So basically everyone benefits, uh, state retirees, newborn moms, uh, first responders, care workers, children, the disabled, small businesses, working people. This is truly an historic budget about changed lives and building stronger families in the state of North Carolina. This is one that will have, uh, that will have tremendous benefits for generations to come. Senator, you have the floor. Yeah, so I think uh, I think Nelson's right. Uh, you know, one thing I would add is it's a bipartisan budget, but to be clear, Democrats drove a lot of the bipartisan budget on two fronts. One is you had a Democratic Congress and President Joe Biden that allocated $7.1 billion in federal funds, including the American Rescue Plan. And secondly, Senate Democrats and Governor Cooper pushed for another billion dollar uh, investments in the budget. So, you know, that being said, there are there are some long-term concerns with the budget. I mean, one is it does can, it does limit Governor Cooper's executive authority and it prohibits uh, the Attorney General from settling lawsuits. But perhaps the most problematic aspect of the budget is that it phases out corporate income tax starting in 2024. That could really shortchange public education. But at the end of the day, those are those are issues in the out years. And I suspect with the limiting of the governor's authority and the Attorney General's authority, we'll see that we'll see lawsuits filed immediately. Donna, what was left on the table? You well, I think one of the things is that neither side got everything they wanted. Among them was uh, Medicaid expansion was not included in it, which is something Governor Cooper and Democrats have been pushing to, for for a long time. But I think they did get a study committee that is charged with producing a piece of legislation, talking about a bill about um, studying increasing access to health care. Um, a couple of the things that were mentioned, um, the, uh, the restrictions or the limiting of the governor's power doesn't take effect until January of 2023. Um, and there are some other things in there that I I know that, that Republicans really felt strongly about among them is phasing out, eventually phasing out through 30, uh, 2031 uh, corporate income tax and continuing to grow our economy 
bring companies here. The biggest thing I really like to see is a couple of things. One is the um, investment of one-time dollars into one-time expenses, things like capital projects for schools that are long overdue. You know, we haven't had a budget since 2018, 2019, because Governor Cooper hasn't signed one. And that's one of the things that I think is important that we get out there. There are expenses that need to be covered. There are needs in our communities, and we finally have some funding to do it. Mitch, did the governor do this reluctantly? Oh, certainly. You have to say uh, that this was a strategic retreat by Governor Cooper, because basically lawmakers came up with a plan. Then they negotiated with Governor Cooper, but at some point they just said, we're not going to come up with a deal. We're going to vote on a budget. And there were enough Democratic lawmakers who were willing to go along with the Republicans that Governor Cooper had to decide, am I going to join the train or watch it pass me by? I think he basically had a strategic retreat here and said, let me sign this and, try to, the train. and try to spin it as a win rather than see that it was a loss, because there's some things in there he would never go along with. The emergency powers issue. Uh, ending collusive lawsuit settlements, additional investments in school choice. There are lots of things in there that policy-wise, Governor Cooper would never go along with, but he decided he did not want to be just the one person who, who was not part of this. Okay, I want to move on, Donna. It looks like... Uh Biden's mandates for small businesses and corporations is on hold. That's right. Um, OSHA has suspended implementation and enforcement of uh, the Biden administration's vaccine mandate, which would apply to all companies with 100 employees or more. Uh, this came um, after a three-judge panel stopped it, said, do not continue with this mandate until we get another court, in this case, the sixth court, uh, uh, the sixth district court, to rule on it. It came from a lawsuit from the National Retail Federation, American Truckers Association, a few folks who would really be impacted, their industry be impacted, particularly right now with supply chain problems and inflation and all these things, labor shortages. They all said, you can't do this to us right now. This is not going to work. On the other side, labor unions are pushing to make the mandate broader, to apply to, to companies with less than 100 employees. Uh, in general, what they're finding is that this court, this three-judge panel, said that it was stagger staggeringly overly broad, it was uh, fatally flawed, and really raised some constitutional questions. Mitch, would this be a boost to the economy? People go back to work now? Well, I think it's certainly helpful that you're not going to have this vaccine mandate going into to effect at this point. To me, the most interesting part about this story at this point is the fact that it's a ping pong ball lottery decided where it's going to go in terms of its next legal stage because there had been uh, challenges filed in a bunch of different circuits across the country. And so they had to decide which which circuit's going to, to deal with this. Uh, if you were on the political left, you wanted the ninth district, the ninth circuit. If you were on the right, you wanted the fifth or the sixth circuit. Well, the ping pong ball came up sixth. So for folks who follow these courts very closely, they think that the people who are against the vaccine mandate are in a good position at this point. Nelson, this doesn't apply, though, to certain areas, correct? I mean, still like the, uh, the TSA and all that have to have, have the vaccine mandate, correct? Well, that's right. It's uh, not tested. evenly. They have to get vaccinated. That's right. It's, it's not evenly applied. And really what, what the Biden administration needs to be laser focused in on is accelerating the, the approval of the antiviral pills that Pfizer's worked on, that Merck has worked on. 
The British have already approved uh, Merck's medication. Uh, and we're going to have another COVID wave this winter, just like they're having in, in uh, Europe now. So, But the courts are being very clear. If you're a government, a business, an institution, you can require vaccination, but you can't bootstrap. If you want a nationwide mandate, Congress has to pass a law. So I think the U.S. Supreme Court is being very consistent. Left may not be happy, the right may not be happy, but they are the only federal branch right now who is trying to get the power and authority of government back within its constitutional bounds, and that's going to help us long-term after the pandemic is over. These vaccine mandates for, like, airline employees and TSA employees could impact uh, holiday travel. It, it, I mean, it could, and we've seen some evidence of that, but I think if you also look at what happens with, van, with vaccine mandates, if there's some hesitancy, you ultimately see employees fall in place and take on the, the mandate. I mean, I would say there are really two parts of this with the vaccine mandate. There's a legal issue that Mitch talked about and the fact that now the Sixth Circuit's going to review this. I think it's destined to go to the United States Supreme Court. And secondly, there's the real political challenge to this because I think, I mean, let's be honest, if you look at self-identified uh, counties that have voted for Trump, they are less likely to support vaccine mandates than those that voted for, for Joe Biden. And so I think we have a real political issue on our hands. But I, you know, I would say that if you continue to follow public health officials' advice, um, we need to have the mandate to answer your question, Mark. I think that's still the single best way to jumpstart the economy. And as Nelson mentioned, we're seeing a wave in Europe that could come to the United States. And so I think it's critically important we protect our folks. If they want one at the national level, Congress should pass it. They should do their job. You can't have uh, an authoritarian president, right? Okay, I want to move on, come right back to Jay and talk about the Leandro case. What's next? So just as quick background, um, the, the so-called Leandro case started back in 1994 when families from low-wealth, five low-wealth districts sued, saying that they their kids did not have the same educational opportunities in the low-wealth districts as they did in high-wealth districts. Uh, the Supreme Court ultimately found that every child is entitled to a sound basic education. Um, as part of the Leandro litigation, there was a consultant that was hired that made recommendations of what needed to be uh, provided by the state to fill that gap. That Ultimately, that study recommended that there be $1.7 billion funded in the first two years um, for, for public schools. That included um, providing additional money for early childhood education, uh, teacher pay raises, as well as um, funding for low-wealth school districts. Um, earlier this week, uh, Judge, or last week, Judge Lee said uh, he had ordered and directed... He's a county judge, right? He is a, he's a Superior Court judge. He uh, directed that the state transfer $1.7 billion. Uh, needless to say, the Republican leadership uh, have reacted quite harshly, calling Judge Lee uh, a rogue and saying that he is unhinged. But um, I, I think we've entered into uncharted territory for sure, and I think there are a few questions that we have to ask as we go forward. One is who would appeal uh, the decision, because we know that the state's not in a position to appeal that decision. I think if legislators want to appeal the decision, they'll argue it's a violation of separation of powers, and we could see separate litigation there. Uh, then we also have state officials and what they're going to do. I think that you got Treasurer Falwell, who is uh, Republican, may right. not follow the judge's order. And then lastly, and, and maybe, maybe Nelson can shed some insight, I mean, certainly there seem to be rumors about impeaching uh, Judge Lee, too, arguing that he's exceeded his his authority. And the last impeachment okay. we've had was with William Holden back in uh, 1870. Donna A.G. Stein signed off on this, too. He said it was constitutional. That's correct. So the argument that uh, Attorney General Josh Stein came up with is that uh, the Constitution was written, uh, you know, back in 1868, and somehow those framers knew how much it was going to cost this year to fund a sound basic education. So uh, the the 
the premise is that no one disagrees that everyone does every child deserves a sound basic education it's what it looks like who controls it how it's shaped and whether the current bureaucracy that we have would be able to provide that just given more and more and more funding but the biggest problem is that is a judge uh, constitutionally allowed to open the coffers of, to appropriate money. Of, of to appropriate money for the state when that role constitutionally falls to the legislature Nelson your thoughts and, and, and by the way um, wasn't some of this uh, money or appropriated in the budget? Well, over 60% of the general fund budget is spent on education. So this biennial budget, that's well over $32 billion with another $731 million in state appropriated federal funds. And that doesn't even include the billions in capital. A teacher in a low uh, wealth county, that's about 95 of the counties, making under $75,000 right now will receive a 6.7% raise and $2,800 in bonuses. Uh, there's funding for school safety grants, safety training, another 115 school psychologists for around the state, $884 million plus uh, in new federal and state money for early childhood uh, programs, and that includes teacher training and retention. And I would just simply say, 145 legislators voted for this education budget, only 18 against, the governor signed it, the people's representatives have spoken, and I trust the judge will listen. No, <laughs> Mitch. <laughs> Yeah, I think the, the, the best part about Judge Lee's order is that he stayed it for 30 days, which gives some of these other legal issues time to play out. And uh, Senator Chaudhary already mentioned that we've got several different options. There could be the impeachment of Judge Lee, but he's already put forward the order, so I don't know that that's going to make much difference. Then you have the opportunity, perhaps, for uh, leaders of the General Assembly to sue over this, saying, look, we're the ones who control the purse. You can't transfer this money. Or what could happen is that no one really does anything and Treasurer Falwell and Controller Linda Combs wait for someone to sue them when they don't do what the judge ordered. So there are a lot of things that could still play out with this. Okay, I want to move on and talk about parental rights. It seems to be bubbling up in Washington and around state capitals. This really started going back to the beginning of the COVID-19 pandemic when schools shut down and parents started to get a better inkling of what was actually happening in the schools, what their kids were being taught. Some had some concerns about the type of instruction. Then they had concerns about schools not reopening or if they were reopening and there was some sort of mask uh, requirement and now potentially some vaccine mandates. So you had all of that percolating. Then it really had an impact over the Virginia government governor's race when Terry McAuliffe, the Democratic candidate, said parents shouldn't really be telling uh, the schools how to teach their kids. That cost him and probably was cost a factor. Race, yeah, and, and probably was a, a big factor in right. Glenn Youngkin winning. Then you learn that because of angry parents at school board meetings that the National School Board Association asked the Justice Department to investigate parents as domestic terrorists and they actually took them up on it and started doing that. So. All of this is happening, plus concerns about critical race theory in the schools and how that's influencing things, whether the theory is actually in there or not. So uh, th this has all been percolating, and now we've seen there was a big rally on Capitol Hill saying the government is not a co-parent. You've seen this uh, uh, proposal from Missouri uh, Senator Republican Josh Hawley who would have a parent's bill of rights so that parents would know what their children are taught, who's teaching them, and which organizations outside the schools are getting school contracts. This is a big issue. Do we have anything similar in North Carolina to parental bill of rights? Uh, yes, the House passed uh, 
755 academic transparency back in May. Unfortunately, it was along uh, party lines. Uh, but what we have seen since then, uh, as Mitch is talking about, is uh, a parents' movement around the country. I mean, we lament all the time that uh, problems for children in the schools are rooted in the homes. So it's really sort of hypocrisy to say to these parents who want to be engaged, who want to know what their children are learning in schools, uh, that no, you cannot have access to the materials. Uh, it, it's the wrong way to go. Uh, we're seeing a, a reaction to that. These parents are also taxpayers. And we're talking about greater democracy. You know, we're talking about getting away from battling against authoritarianism. That's what we say. Well, that needs to apply to what we are doing in our schools and having parents fully engaged in the process. Donna, apparently the FBI is tagging these parents. Well, there was more information that came out this week that the Department of Justice created a hashtag uh, called Ed Officials, I think, something like that, so that they could track parents talking about this online. And that is really disturbing as a parent myself. Um, but you know, we're finding that they were using tactics that you would normally use to track domestic terrorists. Um, and that's something that's still in, under investigation. It's, they're really taking a lot of heat for it. Um, but I think what we're also seeing emerging is Republicans uh, grabbing onto this uh, for traction for 20. I think that they're seeing that this really moved parents to vote, particularly those who would consider themselves unaffiliated or moderate. And those that's 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 really fertile ground for both parties. And uh, you can't get between uh, a mama bear and her cub. And that's exactly what happened in Virginia. And I think that a lot of officials are seeing that that is real autonomy for parents. And it's a liberty issue that Republicans can get their head around. Jay, is the key transparency in curriculum? Um, it, you know, it could be transparency in curriculum. I mean, look, I, I agree that I think uh, parental involvement will be a key issue going into 2022. Virginia has shown us that. But I are, also are, think... Are Republicans, traditionally, they, they haven't owned the education issue. Are they they have cutting into democratic territory? That, that's right. I mean, they haven't. And I think if you look at the polling in Virginia, um, they have owned the education issue. But I, I'd say a couple of things. I said, I'd say, I'd say one... Uh, there are a lot of existing parental rights that exist already. I mean, one of the issues that was problematic in Virginia, for example, was this push to ban Beloved, a, a Pulitzer Prize winning book by Toni Morrison that's part of the American canon. And so when you talk about authoritarianism, we're also talking about book banning. And so I think I think it's important to find a balance, and okay. I think it's also important to empower parents. Okay, we need to wrap. Let's go to the most underreported story of the week, Mitch. The ink is barely dry on the new election maps in North Carolina, but we have another lawsuit, the third by my count, that's challenging them. Law uh, this time, exactly. <laughs> Big business for redistricting lawyers right now. This one comes from the North Carolina League of Conservation Voters. They're challenging all the maps the state house map, state senate map, congressional map. They're challenging them as racial gerrymandering, as partisan gerrymandering. Uh, the suit offers an alternative map saying, look, here's for the congressional map, here's a way you could do it in a way that would uh, not violate these constitutional principles. Among the plaintiffs, a very interesting longtime state uh, representative, Mickey Michaud of Durham. So it'll be interesting to see what happens, but now is the time to start putting together your scorecard because we already have three lawsuits challenging the maps, and I suspect there might be more.
Jay. Um, the Atlantic this week had an article called The Home is the Future of Travel. I love this article because it actually talks about what's happened after the pandemic where there's a great convergence of mixing travel and leisure and work together. Just a couple of statistics from the article from Airbnb. Today, 20% of Airbnb long stays are 28 days or longer. And now Mondays and Tuesdays are the now fastest growing days of the week. And so with Zoom, with remote work, we see people are no longer anchored in one place. I think it also addresses a lot of interesting public policy issues that we might need to address in the future. Donna. That is really interesting. Uh, so going into your holiday season, liquor is going to be harder and harder to get, it seems like. Uh, it, it appears that there is liquor available, but the warehouse in North Carolina is having trouble getting it to the stores, getting it to the restaurants. And this week, uh, that warehouse that has the contract with North Carolina said they were not coming to uh, testify and explain to lawmakers what was happening. Yeah. Happy Thanksgiving. Do you, do you speak from experience? I'm telling you. <laughs> Some empty shelves. In the mountains, they don't get their liquor from where <laughs> Point well taken. Nelson. <laughs> The risk of stagflation, uh, the term normally refers to uh, rising prices at a time of slowing growth and high unemployment like we saw in the 60s and 70s. Today we're experiencing inflation at a 30-year high. The productivity rate was down 5% in the third quarter, a 40-year low. Consumer confidence is now at a 10-year low and total employment uh, has yet to recover to pre-pandemic levels. So we don't have the high unemployment that would be traditionally associated with stagflation. In this case, workers are simply not coming back to the job and baby boomers are accelerating uh, their mass retirement. So if labor participation remains low, inflation remains high, in 2022, we could experience a new version of stagflation didn't work out very well for Ford or Carter. How, how, how does spending out of Washington impact that massive spending that's happening? And do you think the Build Back Better uh, bill, which is currently being considered, I think it was passed this morning, the House will pass through the Senate? They will get some version of it. I know that Manchin is principally the one standing in the way, so we'll see what he's willing to do. But there, again, the problem is you're flooding, just like the Fed is right now, you're flooding the economy with money. And uh, then you're also talking about taking some of the capital out while the baby boomers are, are retiring in the capital markets. That's really not a good recipe long term. Okay, let's go to the lightning round, Mitch. Well, who's up? Western North Carolina politicians who would like to run for Congress. We had that surprise announcement from incumbent Congressman Madison Cawthorn that he's not going to run in the far western district, but will instead run in the district next door. That makes that new 14th district an open seat. We already know that Michelle Woodhouse, who is the district Republican chair, is going to plan to run, but others are likely to get involved, including potentially some state senators who've been double bunked on the state Senate map. Who's down? Members of the House who would like to be the next House Speaker. Uh, when Madison Cawthorn moved, that meant that uh, House Speaker Tim Moore is not going to run for Congress, wants to run for a record-breaking term as Speaker. That means all of his lieutenants and anyone else who wanted to be House Speaker will have to wait. Okay, who's up and who's down, Jay? Well, he's up uh, bipartisanship in the General Assembly. The North Carolina General Assembly, as we discussed uh, earlier in the show, passed a bipartisan budget after a three-year stalemate, and we've seen bipartisanship now on the budget and on the clean energy bill. Send a formula to Washington. <laughs> That's right. Uh, and speaking of which, on who's down, I'd say Representative Paul Gosar. Uh, the U.S. House of Representatives on Wednesday voted to censor him um, after he posted a video on Twitter depicting attacks on both President Biden and Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. He's a second member 
member of Congress now that's been stripped of his committee assignment. Donna, who's up and who's down? Up, up for sure, federal spending, but also tax cuts for the wealthy, a last-minute ad in the Build Back Better uh, legislation that faced a House vote. Uh, added increased the SALT, the state and local tax, from uh, from $10,000 to $80,000. That gives a huge tax cut to families earning between $500,000 and $1 million, which is really not what the Biden administration ran on. So a lot of folks are facing uh, that. Down DOJ, more disturbing information about how, what kind of tactics they use to investigate parents who were demonstrating at school boards. Nelson. Uh, who's up? Uh, Medicaid Part B monthly premiums and a surprise announcement. Premiums are going up 14.5% in January. For low-income seniors, this is going to take all of their Social Security increase for 2022. Medicaid co-pays are going up as well. Who's down? U.S. foreign policy. Biden is 0-2 in summits with Russia and China. He failed to revive the Iran Treaty. The withdrawal from Afghanistan was a disaster. The climate conference was a failure. And now we are on bad terms with our two most important partners, Canada and Mexico. Are you hearing there's going to be an interim deal? I heard uh, today that there's going to be an interim deal with Iran. Well, that is very concerning because you do not need to be pumping additional money back into that regime because you get more terrorism in the Middle East when you do that. Is that how they're using the carrot and the stick with cash? That cash speaks in every continent. Headline next week, Mitch. Final briefs are due in this Supreme Court justice controversy just before the Thanksgiving holiday. Jay? Uh, Americans spend Thanksgiving paying more for their turkey and stuffing and spending more money for holiday shopping. Donna. I hope that is the case. Uh, a big snowstorm could actually slow some holiday travel. So a lot of folks who are hoping to get back home for Thanksgiving, maybe for the first time since 2019, may get snowed in. It's going to really take the, the northeastern part of the country and parts of North Carolina. Holiday travel is going to be much more expensive too, right? Much more expensive, but I think folks are willing to do it at this point after two years of, of COVID pandemic. Nelson, headline next week. Well, remember the MasterCard ads. Cost of Thanksgiving dinner up 14%. Time with family and friends, priceless. Any plans? Uh, we're going to stay home. We're going to stay in Raleigh this year and enjoy putting up our Christmas tree a little early. Okay, Jay. Any plans? Um, we're going to we're going to hop in the car, drive up to New York to see my in-laws. Always get to Shenandoah Valley. It's a great drive. Okay, great job, panel. That's it for us. Thanks for watching. Have a great Thanksgiving weekend. See you next week on. Major funding for Front Row was provided by Robert L. Luddy. Additional funding provided by Patricia and Ku Yuen through the Yuen Foundation, committed to bridging cultural differences in our communities. And by... Funding for the Lightning Round is provided by NC Realtors, Helen Lockery, Mary Louise and John Burris, Reifenberg Construction, Stephen Gleason, and Jane and Van Hip. A complete list of funders can be found at pbsnc.org slash front row.